Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Mission Daily. Today's show features Sai Gendavelli, the founder and CEO of Solix Technologies. And on this episode, Albert and Sai have an honest and candid conversation about the strife software companies often deal with during their infancy. The struggles Solix went through just to keep the lights on and the importance of data and AI moving into the future. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Mission Daily, as you know, where we go and explore all things tech, founders, entrepreneurship, health, wellness, all different types of topics. Today, CEO, Saigon Novelli, Solix Technologies. Sai, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. Uh, thank you again. It's a privilege to be on your show. I've seen mission.org website and some of the podcasts that you put together for entrepreneurs or different interests are pretty inspiring. So thank you again for the opportunity. Not a problem. Now, I'm going to go off right off your website. As you know, we like to start things off letting you talk a little about your company. We read it from your website. It's to organize the world's enterprise information with optimized infrastructure, security, and analytics. Big mission. A lot of companies are in the space. I want you to uniquely tell us what is Solix all about. All right, so I'll make it simple. It's a fairly, very lofty dream, but let me explain like a, uh, in simple words. If you take like Google, Google is basically when you do Google search, it's taking these mountains of data from all over the world and making it helpful for people to search and get value out of it. Right. If you were to take the same thing to an enterprise, we are uh, helping enterprises to uh, monetize their data across five Cs. One is how we can reduce cost. Number two, how we can be compliant. You know, compliance is another area that we help. And the third is how to optimize their cash flow and how to optimize on cloud and then how to optimize on customers. So it's, it's all about using enterprise data, uh, how you can, you know, become an AI-driven enterprise. Uh, that's what we do. It's a big, hairy, audacious goal. I love it. There's a lot of companies competing in this space and they come at it in different ways. Do you have any actual like uh, stories you can tell us about actual customers, what they looked like before, what they looked like after they you know, implemented Solix, and like what they were able to do after uh, that happened? Uh, good question, Albert. Uh, let me, let me uh, give you the area you know, that we are known majorly uh, from Gartner, Forrester, major analyst firm. We are one of the top vendors all over the world. We are known to be an enterprise archiving vendor. Enterprise archiving is again, you know, look at the data that is uh, historical that mm-hmm. you are not accessing frequently. Yet you have it on a high cost storage. We move that data to a, a data platform. So this is similar to a data lake. It's a data lake for historical data. Now most of our competition, ninety nine percent of our competition is focused on analytics, focused on AI. That's where you know, customers have got a lot of choice. Whereas we are approaching more from a data lake, data management. Okay. And uh, and it's also called data fabric. So we are like organizing all the data from low cost for optimizing the cost, optimizing the compute, and not just the data that is generated internally, even virtually connecting data that is externally, meaning let's say weather data uh, or maybe social data, so we are like a, you know, creating a fabric of all the enterprise data that impacts an enterprise and preparing the data for analytics. Uh, since customers, you know, are 
you know, they clearly understand data is growing. They need to optimize the cost. It helps us get it. Uh, uh, none of our competition, 99% other companies, they're purely focused on analytics, whereas we present from a cost perspective, compliance perspective, such as GDPR or CCPA compliance. We get into an organization through this, then we land and expand. We expand into the analytics space. That's how very, very large companies, um, one of the biggest bank in the world, uh, are uh, some very, very large companies uh, are uh, using our platform. We were rated as number two in the world by Gartner uh, and, uh, and, and these major uh, analyst firms. Uh, I would say we are like a pretty much one of the top vendor in the enterprise archiving space. But with our product, we provide, uh, we expand into analytics what most of the other competition is trying to do. So when you look at this data space, uh, there are two words, AI, and then there is a word called IA. AI, obviously, you know the artificial intelligence. Right. But in order to do AI, you need the IA, which is information architecture. So we are more about providing, preparing the data, organizing the data from governance, compliance, etc., and preparing the data for AI. So we come under the category of IA, but the same platform can also do AI. Got it. Now, like you mentioned before, you've built a great company, your leaders among the leaders in Gartner. Curiously, when you first started this company, is that what you were intending to do? What did Solix look like when you first started? So, no, uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, when we first started, uh, I'll tell you the story. So uh, this was when I quit Cisco. Uh, that was the time enterprise applications uh, were getting uh, implemented all over the world. I built my business uh, primarily around that helping companies to implement uh, ERP applications. This goes back to 1995, 1996. Mm-hmm. And uh, built a great business. You know, it was like a mini KPMG, mini Deloitte kind of a thing, helping companies to implement ERP, et cetera. But by year 2000, uh, 2001, you know, 9-11 and mm-hmm. uh, the market kind of really crashed. All of a sudden, all these companies were uh, going to offshore. And I was just not prepared. I didn't have the infrastructure. I was not ready for that. I had to reinvent myself. And that was when Google was just coming. And, uh, you know, I, Google was getting to be popular. And I said, look, wow, what if we can take Google search to an enterprise? And that was my original business plan. And we did partner with Google. Google also came with a search appliance around that time. And we took that. We integrated that. And we said, hey, dear enterprise customer, we can help you to do the search. And uh, interestingly, as we, you know, talk to customers, a lot of these enterprise customers, okay, great, but what problem does it solve? I don't even know what data do I have and how should I use it? What should I use it? And that dawned on us saying that, you know what? Customers don't know what data they have. So maybe we need to help them to understand their data. So we kind of really, you know, morphed into you know, helping enterprise data management, meaning what data they have, you know, getting all the metadata to a repository, you know, understanding. And then we kind of really said, you know, if it's a historical data, old data, we can archive the data. So we kind of really started, you know, from that. Uh, And then we built a reasonable good business, helping them to archive data, et cetera. But then in the last few years, it's all about AI. For AI, you need all the data. So right. everything that we did for this many years has become very useful because the archive data is no different from data lake. Archive data is historical data. Data lake is all new data. 
Now, what we are able to provide is historical data, new data, and then we said, like, oh, now we can provide you AI. And how we are approaching AI? We said, you know what, we can help companies to organize their data and prepare the data for AI, but we can build all the analytics. So we are also creating just the way Google has this app store or Apple has this app store. We are fundamentally creating the data repository, you know, creating uh, an API kind of an interface where third parties called build analytics on top of our platform. So with the AIA that we do for an enterprise and our partners who are building analytics together, we are going to companies and saying, you know what, we can help you to become an AI-driven enterprise. So that's the history of the company. So when that was happening, so let's talk, there's, there's a couple of timeframes in there. There's the ERP implementation, there's the data archiving, let's look like Google's um, timeframe. And there's also this transformative timeframe of AI, AI demand where you guys realize, well, before you can have AI, you need IA, kind of like what you just suggested. During that time frame, so you mentioned from ERP to data archiving, it was kind of like a necessity, right? The market shifted very quickly on you and you, you needed to come up with a product or solution. Were you able to see the AI demand coming or was it a similar event where it was a massive shift, but because you had already built such a skill set that was now even further in demand, you were just ready to kind of, you guys were ready to take advantage? I would say, you know, obviously we didn't have this vision. Our scope, our thinking was, you know, build a business around data archiving. Every data that is born today, 10 years from now, needs to be archived, purged, et cetera. So we're primarily thinking from cost and compliance aspects. But then when this opportunity knocked on us, you know, again, you know, it, it was like, whoa, we are just at the right place at the right time. Uh, but you know, we have like a several competition, you know, uh, mm -hmm. on the archiving space. I would credit to my team in terms of seeing, you know what, we can morph from an archiving company to, to enterprise data management to uh, analytics kind of a platform. We saw that opportunity, I would say, in among all the competition, in among all the automobile companies, we became the Tesla. We became the first electric vehicle to a large extent. We are still the only player who provides the archiving as well as analytics platform on the same platform. We morphed into moving from a database technology to Hadoop uh, kind of a technology. So, uh, so I give a lot of credit to my team to, you know, sometimes when opportunity knocks, you need to be smart enough to kind of really understand and execute it. So uh, we have done that. So when that was happening, right, when you were, when the morph was about to happen, you give a lot of credit to your team. Was there any pushback or was there anything that you had to change operationally to get people on board to do a new thing? Uh, you know, because we talk about, we find out all the time that, you know, they always say big companies move slow or certain companies move slow, right? Or they're not willing to change like Kodak. They weren't willing to change. They weren't willing to adopt the digital camera. And so they, they felt the penalty. Was it a challenge to get people to adapt to this change or was your team kind of like frothing, like they could see that this was coming too and they wanted to change with you? Uh, you know, actually it was challenging, uh, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, people were like a sigh, what are you doing? You know, why? If we are already, you know, spending our dollars, hard-earned dollars in building, marketing, etc. You're completely taking to a different shift. And uh, we had challenges and... Mm -hmm. uh, but there were some believers, obviously, in my organization. I have to give credit to them. They saw a big picture. And one is vision, another is execution. Can we really, you know, 
morph ourselves. You know, the technology that we were working on in the first phase was different from when you get into big data. Can you really morph? And uh, can we build the technology? So I would say, uh, you know, uh, it took some convincing, but then it also took uh, a huge effort from my side uh, to get the prototype done, get some initial customers to believe in their vision and uh, get them as a pilot customer. So once it started working, once engineering started seeing a big picture, then it started rolling and rolling. Now the same people, oh my God, what did we do? You know, what have, had we not done that? What would have happened to us, et cetera? So we, we did go through that phase, uh, you know, definitely. So, you know, you're, you're there, you're encouraging your team. You kind of suggested that it, it took a couple smaller pilots to see a little success. And then people now were able to see the benefits. Tell me how your company transformed over that time. So you, when you started off doing ERP implementations, were you just a team of one or did you have a small team? Like how, how did the company look then? So when I was doing ERP implementations, we had about 200 employees. You were already so Wow. That was a, yeah, it was a, like a fairly large team. Uh, we grew to a fairly uh, decent size. I had operations in New York and all of that stuff. And the post 9-11, you know, the market crumbling and all of that and offshore and all of that, et cetera, I was just not ready. And uh, I had to step back and say uh, the real estate market was crashing. Uh, banks' funding became difficult. Right. Uh, customers were not paying. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was tough. You know, it, it really, uh, you know, that's when actually you, you learn. You know, there were times where I had to run the company purely on a credit card. It hit us that bad at at, uh, at points of time, uh, but again, you know what? I would every bit of an experience. I'm thankful to God because it makes you a better person. I've learned a lot, and uh, we've become stronger. Uh, and uh, our feet are on the ground always uh, because of that uh, experience. And uh, so we had to experiment. It pushed us to experiment, and uh, then we you know, tried some of these things, you know, none of these things, you know, again, you know, when you look at when we initially partnered with Google, uh, that was purely about search, but knowing that, you know, searches and customers are not going to buy, maybe we need to, you know, help in managing their data. But that idea actually gave us that uh, uh, idea to get into, uh, you know, uh, enterprise data management. And from enterprise data management, we kind of got into enterprise analytics, uh, you know, with time. So, all these things, you know, uh, you know, happen, you know, one at a time. Uh, it's it's like a, you know, going up the ladder, you know, one step at a time, and uh, uh, all these things have happened uh, for a reason. Uh, and uh, you know, we are about three hundred people right now from a company perspective globally, and we were rated number two, you know, you know, by major analyst firm, right. and uh, we got fairly very large customers. And, uh, you know, pretty proud. Uh, we've built like a lot of value for our shareholders, for our employees and all of that. Uh, this product has a potential to make billions of dollars of revenue. I mean billions of dollars. Data is only growing. And, uh, you know, issues like a data sovereignty. Canada wants their data to be in Canada, you know. Yes. Yep. You know, so data sovereignty issues, uh, you know, uh, data you know, security issues in transit and role-based security, you know, enterprises want to do analytics and all of that. And the foundation for all of that is data. So unless you can 
you know, bring all the data and make it accessible for searching, querying, and analytics for machine learning, deep learning, etc. You can't do that. The future is all uh, is going to be that, and uh, so that's where you know we're pretty excited that where we first started, we were able to kind of really morph into a data management company, but that is actually you know creating a big picture for enterprises because without this, they can't really do AI. No, that makes total sense. Now, for yourself, what's the company culture? I think uh, like today, right? So you you kind of alluded to it that the pain that you felt during the post 9-11, as well as post uh, housing bubble burst. It sounded like it was quite painful. You made, you made a mention that you were running the company basically from a credit card. Uh, <laughs> no, not but, all the time. I, I meant to yeah. say like a certain point of the time, you, know, yeah. you, do, you hit some you know, uh, fairly low points. Uh, exactly. You know, from a company culture perspective, I'm so fortunate. Average tenure of my employees is about 10 years. That is huge. In the in the that is huge. Are all these people in the Bay Area? No, all over the world. Gotcha. Okay, but ten years is still a big thing. I mean, I read a stat recently that the U.S. Department of Labor says the average tenure now is like less than two years for software developer. So that's that's the magic, you know, being able to, you know, keep the people uh, during ups and downs. When we were competing at one point of the time, you know, we were competing with hundred billion dollar IBM. Hundred billion dollar HP, billion dollar uh, Informatica, yeah. and we were the fourth player. And now all the analysts put us these four players on their magic quadrant. For instance, Gartner, and we are competing with all these four, which are like a minimum is a billion dollar companies, and we are like a tiny mini company. We survived, we beat them. In fact, we got a lot of customers from our competition. You know, have migrated to us. So we 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 stood steady. We continue to innovate. Uh, we created more value out of our product and customers saw the roadmap, saw the vision, saw the investment, saw the, you know, the value that we were able to provide and the cost point that we were able to provide. And uh, we have a lot of customers. I would say pretty much we are like a number one in the world in this space right now. I, I, I mean it sincerely and honestly. So how did you go about building, I guess, this international team? So you mentioned you before your team's all over the world, 10 plus years is your tenure. How did you go about that? Was it out of necessity or was it out of opportunity that you decided to build these international teams? It's a good question. So uh, around 2002, 2003, pretty much realized, you know, where we are right now. You know, didn't have a whole lot of money, a lot of investments from real estate and all of that down the hill. And uh, banks were extremely tough in terms of funding and all of that stuff. And uh, I've had uh, an experience of fundraising, VC fund in one of my other company. Didn't go that well. So, you know, I, I had, we had little money, so we had to be very prudent in terms of how we build it. So we said, like, you know, what do we do? We said a couple of things. One, we wanted to be an enterprise software company. That's, mm-hmm. that's an area I had an, we had an experience and we will be an enterprise software company. That's one. Number two, it's all about the technology. And, uh, and uh, we said, you know what, we'll be the top notch uh, as far as the technology is concerned and uh, no compromise on that. And what do we do? And we said, let's build the entire engineering team offshore in India. And uh, we kind of pretty much uh, uh, inspired many of our team members to you know, go back and work over there. 
And it really gave us a tremendous cost advantage. So that was number one. Number two, we said we can't afford this big, large enterprise sales uh, folks, etc. We have to partner. So we went and partnered with most of the SI organizations, build a great nice. product, build with all these partners who can take our product to, uh, to their customers, etc. So that was under, we made an investment consciously on all partnerships and all of that. Number three, we said, you know, great product, great partners, but we also uh, need to invest on marketing. So we spent in white papers, case studies, social marketing, you know, all different aspects, et cetera, to influence all the major analyst firms, et cetera, that we have a great product and we have a great vision, et cetera. So this was a, you know, three-pronged strategy to with optimize cost, great product, and, and uh, continue to, you know, uh, you know, compete with the big, large companies. A couple interesting things, right? Because in the software game, sometimes people view or they frown at offshoring, right? Because they think to themselves, well, am I going to get the service? Is the service going to be as good? Uh, some, some, there are some customers that frown at that. The other thing that you guys did successfully, and I'd like to hear about your ways that you attacked it, was that partnering aspect. Because I think a lot of software builders or technology builders today, they'd love to partner with partners, but they don't really know how to. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how you overcame some of those challenges, right? How did you build your partnerships? And also, how did you overcome uh, people who might have been, let's say, skeptical of offshoring? So, see, we are a product company. So what customers see is, you know, the sales for people and the professional services. And uh, they don't care where the product is built. They want to see gotcha. the product is working. So the people that they are interfacing, we made sure that they are happy, that uh, they, build, they, uh, they really like them. Uh, but in terms of the engineering who are behind the desk, et cetera, that's where, that's what we kind of really kept it. So it was never, even IBM did like a lot of product development back in yes. the SOS is Informatica, et cetera. So we were very careful in terms of how to position and how to build the, uh, you know, a lot of these customers were like, wow, you know, should I buy from IBM? Should I buy from Informatica? Should I buy from HP? And who is Solix? And yeah. <laughs> it was tough. And so we had to be precise in terms of, you know, every aspect of our delivery and our vision, our technology. We had to be, we always used to ask the question, why Solix? If right. we can't answer that question, we don't have a business because we can't compete with IBM and HP. We don't have those relationships. So we were very, very clear, you know, from a technology perspective, we have to be much better than our competition. From pricing perspective, we have to be much better. And from our uh, implementations perspective, we have to be much better. So we were, a lot of our competition lost their customers to us. We didn't lose any of our customers to our competition. So that was a very precise uh, uh, execution uh, uh, to a large extent in my mind. Right. The other question from a partner perspective, end of the day, partners are looking like, hey, can you help me to make money? That's right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> You know, if you can show them that they can, you know, mine their existing accounts to make more money, they can open up new accounts uh, for newer revenue, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, don't expect miracles because, you know, when you have a, a end customer reaching out to you, the potential to close is like a much more higher probability. But when it comes right. to alliances, it's much more uh, lesser probability. So what we said is like a, will continue to seed 
each of these partners with the information, inspiring them and all of that. But as we keep hearing from, you know, uh, when we hear from a customer, when we know we are competing with IBM or HP or whatever, then we used to reach out to the local partner and say, you're in this account, we are competing with IBM, would you like to partner with us together, let's go beat our competition. Uh, we are bringing them a new opportunity that inspires the partner. The second is, once then they're able to make some money, then they take it to other customers. So I won't say it is easy. It's a lot of hard work, but, uh, you know, we continue to do that. At the same token, we continue to, you know, focus on our uh, direct reach for end customer's perspective. Together as a combination, we were able to withstand and, uh, you know, become a bigger company. No, that's exactly it. What you mentioned right there, going out and proactively helping your partners actually sell accounts. That's what I've found in the past is really the only way that gets to accelerate the cycle. Because you kind of said it already, right? When you have a direct sale, you control the cycle much more. When you have a partner sale, it's not really clear where they are, right? So it's harder to predict. It's harder to plan. But if you're bringing the deal to them and sitting at the table with them, now it's kind of your cycle too. So you're you're 100% in the game. <laughs> Excellent. So what about what do you see for the future of Solix, right? You kind of hinted at it earlier. You talked about how in order for all these AI projects to take off, there's going to need to be more IA. And I'm also really curious about some of, what are some of the big discoveries I think that you, you, you're proud of that Solix has helped unlock for customers? If, any, if you could share any of those stories, you don't have to name the customers, of course. It'd be great to help our team and audience understand like this is, this is the power of uh, taking historical data, making it available for AI. That's a great question. Uh, see, we believe fundamentally every enterprise is going to change. Every industry is going to change. We have seen what AI can do just in the area of retail or how Amazon is kind of really disrupting the market. Right. And that is happening in every industry. Even in the healthcare industry, there's going to be a lot of disruption. We are working with uh, fairly, very large healthcare companies, et cetera. You know? You know, at some day, you know, you might have a Siri kind of a, you know, product can become like a virtual doctor. It can, you know, look at your uh, blood report. It can, you know, be your, uh, you know, basic family doctor. Uh, it may not do surgeries, but, you know, 80% of the cases, what currently what people handle, if you can have an algorithm drive a car, you can easily have an algorithm look at basic blood report or a radiology report, et cetera. That's coming. I think if you were to take that, pretty much every industry, in my opinion, uh, you know, whether it's a transportation sector, whether it's a uh, education sector, I think they're all up for disruption. And I it's read, all about technology. No, I read, uh, yeah, so to hit your point, I read this article recently about how um, there was an AI breast screening algorithm that was actually more accurately and better able to, to spot and identify early stage breast cancer than doctors. Just looking at the mammogram, they didn't need, right? Like, so if a woman goes in or any, if a man goes in for an examination, a woman goes in for exam, it doesn't matter. They're really depending on just one person <laughs> to identify. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just the beginning, you know, I think, you know, what can, so, so that's one aspect. The other is, even if you look deep into an enterprise, the marketing function, the sales okay. function, the HR function, the legal function, each of these departments are also going to fundamentally change. In fact, I'm working on a book, you know, to talk about, you know, how 
you know, marketing is going to be different, how HR is going to be different, how, you know, how banking industry, healthcare industry, et cetera. So I think, you know, so there's a huge opportunity in front of us uh, where, uh, uh, where, you know, you're part of this, you know, proposition, you know, enterprises love our technology because, you know, they know, you know, it's the first thing they need to handle is the data to kind of really envision any of these other things. Then the other thing, right, this, the concept, like if you were to take like a mobile phone, the mm-hmm. app store, providing innovation where third parties can build analytics. So mobile phone won't have been where it is if Apple only had to develop all those apps, if only Google had to develop those apps. So we, we are of the mission that, hey, we will organize the data. We will make data available, you know, uh, as an API. And if, you, if I can, let's say, if I give you a mammogram, if you can create some value out of it, that's an app on our platform. If I can give you my financial data, and if you can tell me some risk or whatever, that's an app. So we are like a, you know, democratizing this data, you know, exactly what Google and Apple did for mobile and a consumer data. Can we do that for enterprises? What, what we are, that's a big lofty vision, but that's exactly what we're trying to do. A lot of these customers are buying because they see a big picture, even though this is a small company and they're willing to pour millions of dollars on our technology just purely because of that reason. So, you know, you asked, you know, what is exciting and all of that. So this mission in terms of we believe this technology can pour millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and we can pack many industries. We can currently like in the healthcare from prescriptive care, we can change it to predictive and preventive care. Uh, That means you, you have to bring all the data from social, you know, uh, you know, if the person is drinks a lot, I mean, I'm, I'm again, without really getting into the privacy stuff or whatever. But my point is, if you can assimilate all the data together, you yeah. can provide much better care to uh, to a person. You're hitting on so many things that are interesting, like uh, because so uh, you know, my I remember when my father he was diagnosed with cancer, but I remember like because I, I don't think it's just him. I think a lot of men do this. I'm sure a lot of women do as well. They're not really truthful with the doctors, right? The doctors kind of keep probing and asking questions, right? Well, like, well, they'll ask questions like, well, on a scale of one to 10, how much is the pain? I remember my dad saying three, but then, cause I interrupted and I was like, I think it's a 10. He doesn't sleep at night, <laughs> you know, like, right? But like, to your point, if you have all that data, then it's not really even a question. My doctor would know that you don't sleep. Okay, this is a serious problem, right? <laughs> you don't exactly. need it. Down yeah, here. I think what Apple Watch can really do to monitor, you know, it's almost like a IoT day, a sensor on your body, etc. So right. if that is providing the data and your social is providing the data and again, you don't Historical even need to records. talk to a physical doctor. Yeah, You can talk to an algorithm, you know, you can be honest in an algorithm and yeah. uh, that's it. And th- that's a potential, you know, just in, even in the banking, you know, it's, it's you're going to have like a digital banks, uh, more and more on a go forward. You don't need to physically go to any bank. And just the way Amazon, at least it started with only any store, etc. Uh, I think even the banking industry is also going to fundamentally change. But the banks, the data that they have, you know, I think they can use the data to mine and, you know, maybe they can sell advertisements. Maybe they can monetize the data. If somebody buys a car, maybe they can sell them insurance. You know, they can make right. more money rather than the $10 what they can charge on a on a retail account, but selling them more ads, maybe they can do, or maybe they can create more value 
I think it's up for grabs. Everything, you know, has a potential for changing and uh, for a betterment of, uh, and, and then we are having more issues, more problems uh, these days. And uh, yeah. so I think technology also has to keep pace to kind of really solve uh, these problems. No, I, lo- I love it. How about threats? What about threats to you, Solix specifically? Because I think about, because uh, I used to work in uh, cloud applications as well. So one of the things you had mentioned before is, you know, building the IA, making sure it's cost effective. Does it keep you up at night? Do you think the cloud service, like the cloud providers themselves, like it's Amazon going to make their cold storage products more accessible so that, you know, that they're more readily available? Do the cloud providers like Microsoft themselves, could they do you worry that they're starting going to start building similar services to what you provide? Well, absolutely. You know, uh, that's always, you know, everything that you do, there's obviously the threat, the competition. But here is the unique value proposition, though. Right. You know, the cloud, Amazon wants all the data to come onto Amazon cloud. But right. customers are going to be hybrid cloud, multi-cloud. So no company is going to say, I'm going to put all my data in Amazon. And Arsu is uh, Microsoft, you know, Azure right. or whatever. So, you know, helping companies to, you know, optimize on multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, data sovereignty, uh, information governance, security, data across, you know, data generated internally, data generated externally. I think they're, you know, we are, we are more like a data fabric for an enterprise. So right now we have got a competitive advantage and customers love that. But at the same token, we are also in January, we'll be announcing, uh, you know, strategically with Microsoft, uh, we are announcing a, another version of our Solix Cloud, which is like a self-service, put your credit cards, more like a box or a Dropbox. And uh, uh, you can also use the um, you know, Azure platform to do that. Uh, so we are, uh, you know, I think threats are always going to be there. Uh, but I think uh, there are more opportunities than the threats at this point of the time. And uh, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, providing the data fabric, you know, whether the data is in their platform or external to their platform, uh, nobody's there yet. So we have unique advantage, at least for right now. There you go. I love it. You got to always go with, uh, you know, wherever the opportunity lies. Uh, so a lot of our, a lot of the best CEOs we always see, they talk about, if you just got to stay focused on the customer, not so much the competition. Sounds like you're doing exactly that. Now, one of the things we always want to do, Sai, is we also want to give our audience a chance to know you personally. So we're going to ask you some more fun personal questions. So let's shoot it. So Solix, obviously, we know that it takes up a good amount of your time, but what do you like to do outside of Solix? Uh, I'm a boring person to some extent, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know I'm, I come from, I came from a lower middle class family and uh, I'm very fortunate to be where I am right now. And I'm always very thankful for the journey and for the opportunities that I've always been presented, you know, by sheer luck. And I always tell myself, you know what, you're lucky. And there are a lot more smarter people than you, but you, you know, you have the opportunity. So uh, I'm, I'm also, you know, working uh, with my with my kids on another foundation called Touch a Life Foundation. There, we are building a digital platform to bring all donors and donees onto a, a single platform. We are making it easy for any donee to reach out to donor. Uh, it's called Touch a Life Foundation. Um, 
So I spent like a lot of time on that. And uh, uh, that's the other, uh, you know, area where I spend uh, bulk of the time. I also uh, watch movies and, uh, you know, I'm also conscious about the health and all of that. uh, And also constantly figuring out uh, reading books is also an area where I spend a lot of time. Uh, you know, everybody has brain, you know, but <laughs> it's the wisdom, how you use your brain makes sense. And uh, so I I'm, I have a target of, you know, completing certain number of books uh, every week. Uh, every and, week? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, I, 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 I subscribe to a summary of books is one. And then I, you know, Amazon, I've got this uh, Amazon uh, uh, subscription where I can read any book, etc. So I use both of that. So I overall, I kind of really manage my time, you know, how to feed my brain, to think and align around those things and how to spend time with my, you know, with my family, with my parents, with my mom, with my family, etc. And uh, so overall, uh, you know, reasonably, you know, manage myself reasonably well. Gotcha. Any uh, any recommendations you have? Anything that you've read recently that just stuck in your mind that you think other people should check out? You know, it's. Uh, I think the the thing like a constantly. Uh, uh, it's all about. You know, I keep telling myself. Uh, even you know, Tim Cook mentioned. You know, when you at some day everybody's going to move move on from this earth, and whatever you have, anything you have, you ultimately need to pass on to somebody. Yeah. So, you know, I'm more from a philosophical perspective to kind of really, I know nothing is going to come with me and how do I make, you know, purpose for my life uh, and uh, how do I, you know, make a difference? Uh, what can I do so that, you know, I can impact more lives, etc. I can I inspire myself. I, I think books around that, you know, yoga, philosophy, uh, I mean, those are the areas to kind of really, you know, you know, just you know, get my brain to kind of really uh, think around those things is, is are the areas where I kind of really spend my time. Gotcha. Well, Sai, I appreciate you spending some time today talking with us at Mission Daily. Did you have a good time? Absolutely, Albert. Thank you very much. Great question. So hopefully I added some value to, you know, to any of your listeners. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, And if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.